I'd like for you to open God's holy word this morning to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and I'll begin reading with verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding And they were not willing to come. Again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed. And all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroying, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as, and as many as you find... Invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Lord, again we ask you to open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word this morning. In Christ's holy name, amen. Well, we see in our text that there was a certain king who was arranging a marriage for his son. This is in the context, of course, a Jewish uh, environment where Jewish weddings were quite a big deal. Very important. There was a time of betrothal between a man and woman, sometimes uh, the marriage had been arranged and they waited for years for this event or their wedding to come about. And then there was the actual uh, presentation when the, the events of the wedding were culminating and sometimes this would take up to a week of gathering together to celebrate this event which would culminate in the actual ceremony and the exchanging of vows. This is the context here. This, this certain king, not just a king, but a certain definite king was arranging a marriage for his son. Well, this is descriptive of the very fact that there is a certain king. That king would be the Lord God Almighty 
who is doing that very thing right now as we speak. He is arranging a time, arranging a final culmination where all of His people will be united forever in the marriage covenant between the Lamb and all of His children. We, we refer to this as the Gospel Age. And this is what we do right now in this Gospel Age. We're telling people of this great event that's going to occur in the future between Christ and all of those that are His. And someday they're going to sit down at a marriage supper and dwell together. And it's going to be a glorious festive occasion as was this Jewish wedding that is depicted here in the text. You don't have to turn there with me. Turn there. But in Revelation 19, we we have this glorious picture of the, the saints of God and the angels of God singing and glorifying God concerning this event. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 19, they cry out, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then in verses 19 and 6 and 7, Then I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude in the sound, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of the mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. You see the picture here. The, the, the angels singing in the Lord and the saints of God singing about this glorious event. You see? So descriptive of this certain king who is arranging a marriage for his son. And then in verse 3, we see the first invitation is given. But we read there in verse 3, when the servants invited those to the wedding, in verse 3, they simply were not willing. They didn't want to attend. And they were adamant about it. Their mind was made up. No, it's not for me. It's like the person says, I'm not that religious. I'm not concerned about this. It was Madonna that sang, I'm a material girl and I live in a material world. You see, it's just the the material things that I'm interested in. Not those pie-in-the-sky heavenly things. I don't give any consideration to that. I'm not the least interested. You see, they were not willing to come. Matthew Henry said, there is nothing, listen to this, there is nothing between sinners and eternal happiness but their proud and unbelieving unwillingness. They were not willing to come. They had no desire to attend this wedding. Just as many have no desire for the things of God and offer up their many excuses. Well, the king in verse 4 said, we're going to send some other servants to these people who have been invited to the wedding. And as they were sent, we see here in verse 4 that there was a little more coaxing involved. He said, tell those persons that I have prepared my dinner. A big deal, folks. 
My oxen and my fatted cattle are killed. You know, you can come, you can have a great time. There's going to be lots of festivities, fun, enjoyment. You'll be able to feast until you want no more. They'll be singing and dancing. Again, all these things occurred during the time of a Jewish, Jewish wedding. But come, come to the wedding. Well, we have the responses. In verses 5 and 6, Scripture says there, mm, make light of it. No big deal. Well, yeah, I guess I could go and get my belly full. But I'm not interested in that. I don't care about the king or his son or anything that's going on. Just as a sinner who's dead in his sins, who takes no thoughts of his eternal need before God. He made light of, oh, it's not important to me. I'm not concerned about that. They're not concerned about, as the Scripture says, that glory which shall be revealed in Romans chapter 8. And the fact that we as children of God are going to experience that someday in the presence of God, the glorious liberty of the children of God. Again, we've been studying the Pilgrim's Progress in Sunday school. And Christian, as he flees the city of destruction, he has all of these things in his mind. As he flees, I want heaven. I must, I must enter heaven. And he leaves the city of destruction in great hope that he will find this. Peter speaks about this great hope which awaits the believer. Because of God's abundant mercy, we have been promised an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for us. And that's, uh, that is our great hope. That is our desire. We look forward to this great time of festivities and joyous occasion when we will sit down with the Lamb in glory and feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But those there, they, they made light of it. They weren't concerned. The text tells us that they simply went their own way. They were concerned about me, my way. Looking out for number one, right? Isaiah 53 says that all of us like sheep have gone astray, each to our own way, doing our own thing. That's what they were concerned about. And there in, the, in our text there in, in uh, verse 5 it says that one went to his farm. Nothing wrong with that, is there? Got a farm to tend to. It's good. You know, it's a good and, and honorable profession. You see, this person is only concerned with what comes out of the earth. They were not concerned with the one who came down from heaven to offer life. As I thought about that word, you know, uh, he was only concerned about his own farm, the earth. And I thought about the word pagan. The word pagan comes from uh, a Latin term. It's actually uh, a derogatory term in the Latin. And the, the word pagan in, in, in the Latin means one who is from a rural environment or a rustic people or one who dwells in the earth, you see. 
And truly, that's, that's what a pagan is. One that is truly concerned about the things of this earth and this world, and they're committed to it. You see, this guy was like that. Again, nothing wrong with being a farmer. It's a, good, it's a good profession. But this man was only committed to his farm. Another was concerned about his business. Oh, i got to make all the money I can. Only concerned about material things. Making a name for myself. So on and so forth. So, we read there in verse 6 that they were pretty well fed up, right? So they seized the servants. They took hold of them, in other words. Don't you get it? We are not going to the wedding. It's an in-your-face kind of thing. Pointing the finger. No. No way. Not interested. Ain't happening. They were showing absolute spite and insolence. Well, it didn't stop there, did it? No. They actually killed many of the servants that came to invite these guests to come to the wedding. Turn over with with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 23. Jesus has been teaching there to many Jewish people around the synagogue, in the temple, and the Pharisees were resisting His words time and time again. And many of the Jews were rejecting the words of Jesus. And He says there in verse 37 of chapter 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stone those that are sent to her. You see, this was the history of Israel. See, They killed their prophets. Time and time again, they hardened their hearts to the truth of God. As were those that were strongly resisting the servants who came to invite those to come to the wedding guest. This was the history of Israel. They were killing the prophets that were sent to them. Jesus says, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You would not hear the Word of God. You rejected the Word of God. You have killed many of the prophets that had been sent to you. I think about Stephen as he preached there in Acts chapter 7, one of the most glorious sermons in the whole Word of God where he reiterates to mainly the Jewish people about this great salvation that has originated in the mind of the king and how he sent his son and this was revealed to Abraham and how God was with the children of Israel throughout the whole Old Testament narrative and culminating in God sending his son. But he says, you have taken him and murdered him. Well, they didn't want to hear any more. What did they do? They, they, they put their fingers in their ears so that they, they would not hear the, steaming, the, the, the preaching of Stephen. And they, like these servants, were angry and insolent and they seized him. And you know the rest of the story. They killed him because they would not hear the Word of God. Keep your place there in Matthew and turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 2. 
This is Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. And he says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through Him in your midst as you yourselves also know, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You see, there's the sovereignty of God. The Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, He was to come, but they, predominantly the Jewish people, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and have put to death, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that you should be held by it. You see, they too, not only crucified, not only killed uh, the servants, the nation of Israel, but they also killed the king's son. And that's depicted in another parable, isn't it? But they killed the Lord Jesus as well. And then look down in verse 36. Peter preached, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Peter is saying, you meant it for evil, but yet this was in God's plan. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, but He allowed wicked men to take Him and to kill Him, to murder Him, but yet this was in the plan of God. Okay, And, and some believe, many people believe and trust it. Okay, let's turn back to Matthew now. Our text in Matthew chapter 24 or 22. After they had taken the servants and mistreated them and killed them, here we have the response of the king in verse 7. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up the city. Can you imagine? Now this was not just an ordinary person. This was a major king in the land. But they spurned him. They rejected his son, killed his servants, and he was so angry. What did he do? He had them killed. He had them. He had their city burned. This is a picture of those that reject the truth of God. They reject the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter one and verse eighteen, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They're not willing. They put it away. They don't want any part of it. Just as those rejected the words of the servants. Now keep your place there and look at Matthew chapter 23. It's very interesting. Matthew chapter 23. Now we just read... uh, 
verse 37 where Jesus is crying out over Jerusalem and by the fact that they would not turn from their sins, they would not believe. So here we see the wrath of God again coming upon Israel by the words of Jesus. He said there in verse 38, See, your house is left to you desolate. Speaking of Israel, your house is left there. You as a people are now going to find a place of desolation. Hey, guess what happened about 40 years after this? Rome destroyed Judah and, and Israel and, and excuse me, Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed. This no doubt is ref- Jesus is referring to this when he mentions the word house. Your house is left to you desolate. You see, there was a a, a, a changing in the in God's economy now. The old covenant was fading away. The new covenant blessings were coming about with the coming of Christ. Remember in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt in the temple. And there in Ezekiel, we we might recall that the glory of God left the temple. And the glory of God left Israel during the time of Samuel's ministry. Here, we have Jesus saying, the time is coming when your house is left to you desolate. Because what was happening? They were clinging to the accoutrements of their religion. The temple and the law. And these things were passing away. Now look there in chapter 24. So interesting there in verse 1. That when Jesus went out and departed from the temple. See there it is. There is the glory of God that's departing the temple. The true glory of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. This era was closing. The Jews would continue for the most part to cling to the temple. To cling to that which had been nullified. And they had not seen the glory in the Lord Jesus Christ that was right there before them. Jesus left the temple. He departed the temple. And His disciples came up to Him to show Him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them in verse 2, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. No doubt, speaking of the destruction of the temple which occurred in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was sacked and the temple was destroyed. God was saying, this era has ended. Now the glory resides upon my Son. Keep your place there and turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Dave read a portion of this for us. We'll go down a little further than where he was reading. In verse 49, So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The wrath of the king. Rejection of the truth. There's there's consequences. We'll turn back to our text in Matthew 22. In 
And in verse 8, we see the king's assessment of those who rejected the, the truth and were judged. Then he says to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Those are the ones that rejected the truth of God. Keep your place there and turn with me please to Acts chapter 13. This was Paul preaching the Word of God again to predominantly Jewish people. Look in Acts chapter 13 and verse 26. He says, Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. Remember, the Gospel was to go to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. Verse 27, For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know Him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning Him. Think about the prophecies of Isaiah. He was one that was bruised by the Father, but yet they esteemed Him not. They did not recognize Him. The Jewish people did not understand. And Paul is warning them not to continue in this state of unbelief as he quotes from Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 5. We see that in verse 41. He says, Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I will work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. You see, Paul is warning the Jewish people about rejecting the truth of God, as they often did. In verse 42, So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, see, they left, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them on the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. Some believed, though, didn't they? Some Jewish people believed the Gospel. Who Paul and Barnabas, who was speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. But on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the Word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. You see, these teachers of the law, these scribes, these Pharisees, they saw the multitudes following after Paul. And they were envious. And they were angry. So they began to contradict and blaspheme and oppose the things which were spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the Word of God be first be spoken to you, to the Jew first, then to the Greek, but since you reject it, just like those in our parable that Jesus gave, they rejected the servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Since you reject it, judge and you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. You see the word unworthy there. In our text in Matthew, in the parable, the king deemed those unworthy who rejected. Here, the Apostle Paul says, 
to those who rejected the Word of God, you yourself deem yourself unworthy by not believing the truth of the Gospel. Again, we see a similar instance when uh, Paul, we won't take the time to turn there, but in Acts chapter 18, Paul was preaching the Gospel and testifying to the Jews concerning uh, the Christ who was the Messiah. And we read there in chapter 18 and verse 6, 6, but when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own head, for I am clean, so from now on I shall go to the Gentiles. They rejected the Word of God, so the Gospel was to go then from that time forward, primarily, for sure, to the Gentiles. Now, if you turn back to our text in Matthew chapter 22. Despite this, the king is still willing to show great grace. He says there in verse 9 to other servants, Go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to come into the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. This morning, uh, Brother Dave read for us, I believe it was, another parable, the parable of of a great supper, in Luke chapter 14. And in that text, although a different parable, some of the same things happens. They begin to make silly excuses as to why not to attend the great supper. And after the majority refused, the the one who was giving the great supper said, go out into the highways and byways, into the hedges, and invite the lame and the blind and the sick and the poor, anybody that will come. You see, this is a picture of the glorious gospel invitation. That whosoever will, let him come and take of the person of Christ to believe the gospel and be saved. The gospel invitation is given. You know, I'm always amused when we won't take the time again to turn there. But in the Gospel account, Matthew and Mark, when Jesus is calling many of His disciples, and there as He walks beside the tax collector's booth, there is Levi, or Matthew, the one who wrote this Gospel that we're studying this morning. And there as He saw Matthew... He said, come and follow me. And Matthew left the tax collector's booth to follow Jesus. Now, as you may very well know, tax collectors were not very popular in Israel. You see, so the Jewish people saw that these people were turncoats. They were pretty much in league with Rome, taking taxes from the Jewish people in order to give unto Rome. And so many times these tax collectors would take a little more, collect a little more, and put it in their pockets. So they were despised. Well, Jesus calls this man to come 
and to follow Him. And there they are in the next scene at Levi's house. And they're having a big time. They're having a meal, enjoying one another. And many other tax collectors are there. And these sinners are there. And the Pharisees hear about it. And they could just not get over the fact that Jesus was eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. But the Gospel goes out to any who will hear, to any who will believe. Not many mighty, not many noble in this world are called. Look in Matthew chapter 21. This is the parable of the two sons beginning in verse 28. You know the the text there that He bid one son to go and work in the vineyard. And he said, Yes, Father, I will go. But he did not go. And the other said, No, I will not go and work for you in in the vineyard. But he repented and, and actually did go. And Jesus said, Which one of you did the will of God? And they replied to him, Well, the one who went and worked in the vineyard. And then Jesus says here in verse 30, 31, Assuredly I say to you, listen to this, Assuredly I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Now you're talking about guess who's coming to dinner. You know, These Jewish people, the cream of the crop, the one to whom the law was given, the covenants have given, the prophets were sent to. What are they doing here? They're rejecting the Word of God. This is what Jesus is depicting here. They were the son that said, yes, we will go, but they did not. Yes, we will believe, but they did not. But the Gentiles who had not the covenant of God and neither had the law, they were coming into the kingdom. They were believing the Word of of God. Back to our text in Matthew chapter 22. God is gracious. He keeps extending the invitation to the and many were full. The house was full. Then we get to verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Now that would make sense, wouldn't it? These people, many of them were poor. And by the way, they were, they were uh, invited on the spur of the moment. They wouldn't be properly dressed for a wedding. So they had to have a special wedding garment that was provided for the king. Verse 12, So he said to him, You know, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? You know, he didn't have to buy it or rent it. It was, a, it was a gracious gift from the king. And the text says he was speechless. You see? He would not respond. He rejected the fact that he had to have on this wedding garment. So we read in verse 13 that the king said to the servant, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness, for there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does this wedding garment symbolize for us? Well, it symbolizes the fact that only those that will 
attend the marriage supper of the Lamb will be those who have on the proper wedding garment. And what is that wedding garment? Well, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, we read that in the Gospel, there is the righteousness of God revealed. You see. That righteousness is the person of Christ. When we trust in Christ, when we believe in Christ, we have the gift of righteousness given to us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But it's provided to us by the King through His Son. When we trust Christ, that righteousness which is foreign to us is given to us as a gift of God and allows us to go into the presence of God because we are clothed in the very righteousness and in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 19, we read concerning that glorious event when the Lamb will be joined to His bride, the church, the wife, in the marriage supper of the Lamb, that the wife has made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. You see, when we embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, He declares us to be righteous. He comes into us, gives us a new heart, changes our desires and affections, and the result is we begin to do righteous deeds because we have been made righteous by the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 61, you don't have to take the time to turn there, but in Isaiah 61 and verse 10, the prophecy is that I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. The garments of salvation, the robes of righteousness. That's the gift of God. Our righteousness provided for in Christ. Nothing that we can work for. Romans chapter 10 and verse 3 concerning Israel again. For they, Israel, being ignorant of God's righteousness, you see, and seeking to establish their own righteousness through keeping the law by going to the temple, they sought their own righteousness, but they had not submitted to the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and upon all who believe. You see, There's the invitation. Come to this wedding. Believe the gospel. Put on the, war, the wedding garments so that you can attend. Trust Christ. Receive that righteousness which is foreign to you. Isn't that glorious? This is referred to oftentimes as a divine exchange where our sin is placed upon Christ and the gift of righteousness through the Lord Jesus Christ is given to us totally and free, allowing us to be a part of the marriage of the Lamb. Glorious. Hallelujah, what God has done for us. He's made a way for us. But again, the one that was not wearing the garment 
was cast out where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. No doubt this is descriptive of the final judgment of God. In Matthew chapter 13, Beginning with verse 41, Matthew 13, 41. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all that practice, all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has an ear, let him hear. So again, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all those who turn away, who suppress the truth, who hold the truth, reject the truth of God. But the offer is given. You know, it makes you wonder about, and this is the great dilemma that we all deal with. And I've seen it for four decades that I've been a Christian. You share the Word of God. And for the most part, they're like those to whom the servants came. They don't hear. They're doing other things. They're caught up in their own little world. But yet, miraculously, some believe. The Gospel goes out, you see. Here in Matthew 20, 22, the whole depiction primarily is teaching us of the graciousness of God. We, we might refer to it as the common call of God or the general call of God. It's done through preaching and witnessing and all that we're called to do. All that we're given the glorious opportunity to do. All that we're commanded to do. You see, it's not the great suggestion, it's the great commission. We're, we're to offer the Gospel. That whosoever will, let him come and partake of the waters of life freely. Whosoever will, let them come. Okay? That's the call of God. But you know it's amazing to me, and it doesn't make much difference what theological camp that you're in, almost all will admit, apart from the Spirit of God working in the heart of the sinner, none would come. Amen. I've seen that. I've, the Scriptures teaches that from cover to cover, and I've seen it happen Many, many times. So how is it that any really come? Well, the Scripture tells us here in verse 14, the final word in our text, for many are called. And that's what this word means. Many are given a general invitation. A common calling. But few are chosen. And those that are chosen, and this is a mysterious work of God, those that are chosen before the foundation of the world will come. You don't understand that? I don't understand that. This is not what I've said. This is what the Word of God says. We're called to preach, believe the Gospel, and be saved. But only those that are the truly chosen will be saved. But on the other hand, look at this text. Anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. Anybody who will believe 
can trust and be saved. But you see, so many, like we read in our text earlier today, in verse 3, they were not willing. And God leaves them in this, this state of insolence and rejection and spitefulness and allows them to go their own way. We would all be there apart from the pouring out of God's grace. So as we think about this parable again that is directedly, directed primary, primarily to Israel and their rejection of the Gospel as a whole, what about them? Does this mean that God has totally rejected the whole Jewish nation? Well, I think not. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Apostle Paul answers this question for us. I say then, has God cast away His people? That's the nation of Israel. Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away His people whom He foreknew. Or do you not know what the Scripture says about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel? saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets. We've been reading about that, right? They have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. I alone have left, and they seek my life. That was our text from last Sunday, right? But in verse 4, But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, at this time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Speaking here primarily about Israel. Even though many in Israel have rejected the Word of God, there is a remnant because of God's gracious election. Verse 6, And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Works don't come have anything to do with it. Our belief is not a work. It's totally by grace that we can believe. But if it were of works, it is no longer of grace. Otherwise, work is no longer a work. Verse 7. What then? Israel has not obtained what it sought. Remember the text we just read that Israel had attempted to establish their own righteousness, but they rejected the righteousness of God? namely the Messiah who came to them, the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel has not obtained what it sought, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. You see, God's plan will be totally and completely accomplished. He is sovereign, and He says... This is difficult to understand, but in the Scriptures, we have many places that depict the nature of God, His kindness and His love. is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But God, in His decree, has said and ordained that some will come. 
and they will come and they will be saved. So today we we study this great theological truth that the sovereignty of God cannot be changed. That's on one plane. We can't completely understand it. We just have to accept what the Word of God says and not reject that. But on the other plane, it's our responsibility to preach the Gospel. It's our prerogative to preach the Gospel. It's our privilege to rejoice in the Lord that He's had mercy upon us. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of His grace. And every time we get a chance to preach the Gospel, like those servants who went out invited those to attend the marriage. We ask God to give us a burden for men's souls. We ask God to give us the opportunity to share. And we stay busy until that time when we sit down with the Lamb at the final marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we pray that Your Word will accomplish the very purpose that it's been sent. Lord, we thank You that You're not sleeping, that You are working Your perfect plan, and that many, many, many are coming to know You. Many Jewish people today, these Scriptures are being fulfilled, but many, many are coming to You today in the great hope as the apostle Paul says that both Jew and Gentile will come into the kingdom and that all of Israel will be saved Lord again we we pray today that we would examine our hearts that we would honor you and glorify you in what you have done and what you're doing and thank you Lord that we are a part of this glorious plan, and program. Thank You, Father. And Lord, we pray today if there's anyone here that does not know You, that they would understand this Gospel and believe in Christ and be saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.